0: Well, thank you, Pastor Chad. I really didn't know he was going to do that, so uh, he did a great job, and I'm humbled by his, uh, uh, just his faith in me. Um, You know, I'm really excited to be here this morning to share with you what God's been showing me in my study of uh, the life of Joseph. And uh, our bottom line, I'll just give you that right up front, is what Satan intended for God, God uses for good, and we'll see this over and over in the life of Joseph. Now, when I started this, to prepare for this, it was, um, it was a subject that God laid on my heart to, to bring, but it became deeply personal to me as I started to prepare because I realized that I had some baggage, what I call personal baggage, something that happened, happens to us in the past that we just can't let go of. And sometimes we resent God or others for it, and, uh, and I, found, I was, found that I was resenting God and had to repent of that. Um, And uh, let me explain to you, uh, well, we'll get into that situation in a second. Um, But that baggage holds us back, and until we um, confront that and release that, we're held back by that baggage. Now, my own personal story, when I was uh, 16, I got a job in a restaurant as a busboy. This is your typical entry-level, minimum-wage job. Everybody starts somewhere, and that's where I started. And uh, the job consisted of removing the dishes and cleaning the table, preparing it for the next set of customers. Of course, in a restaurant, most of the time there's some sort of a tip involved. And uh, the tip was left on the table for the, for the waitress. Uh, we weren't really to touch those. And uh, several months into the job, um, the manager called me into his office. And you know when the manager shuts the door, it's not usually good news as it turned out, one of the waitresses had accused me of stealing her tips. And, uh, and that, was, that was really hard. I mean, inside, I was really angry. I didn't really show it, but I was hurt and angry. I'd been falsely accused, and I felt as though I was doing everything right, everything I was expected to do. I was trying to be a good busboy. And, uh, and I walked with the Lord long enough at that point in my life that I knew that God was in control But if I was one of those little cartoon characters with a thought bubble above my head, it would read, God, I know you're here, but what are you doing? You know, have you ever been falsely accused or uh, been wronged in some way? If you have, then you have something in common with our main character in the story this morning, morning, Joseph. Now, the the story we're going to be covering is actually a fairly long passage of Scripture. It goes from uh, Genesis 37 to Genesis 50. Uh, Genesis is the first book in your Bible, if you, if you want to find it. Um, the main part of the chapter we'll focus on is, is, is chapter 41 through 23. But <clears throat> some of you are oral learners. That means you hear and you learn, and, uh, and I'm not one of those people. Uh, if you're one of those people, great. Uh, I need to look at it. So uh, if you're one of those visual learners, um, I'll try to make sure I call out the, the chapter and verse. But, uh, but don't feel like you have to, have to read it because we're going to be covering a lot of territory. Now, before we talk about Joseph, we need to talk about where he is in the larger picture of the nation of Israel. You remember, God originally chose Abraham to, to be the father of his people, and then from him came Isaac and then Jacob. Now, Jacob was one—he uh, had 12 uh, children eventually— and uh, we'll see in this story. And from those, that became the basis of the 12 tribes of it, the nation of Israel. So they're, they're very pivotal pivotal in what's going on. Now, all of us have a family of origin. Joseph was no, uh, no different. Um, that family of origin, that's where you're born. Uh, you don't have any choice in that. You are born to parents and in a family. You're whatever, the first or the last or the middle. You don't have any choice in your birth order. That's just what it is. And if there's any bad, whatever stuff going on in your family that (laughs) flows down to you, good or bad, you don't have anything that you can do about it. And you see, Joseph, he was the 11th child. He was the youngest out of 11 at that point. And uh, now, as a father, and I have two, and as other parents, you probably strive to be fair to your children. Um, it's probably just a smart thing to do. Well, in Jacob's case, Joseph's father, he kind of did the opposite. You see, he loved Joseph more than the other brothers, and he made no bones about it. As a matter of fact, you may have heard the story of Joseph and the many color of man, uh, coat of many colors, and there are different names for it, but Jacob, um, he showed a lot of favoritism. And we read in Genesis 37, 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they could not speak a kind word to him. Can you imagine the tension in that family over this? Now, Joseph, I mean, he probably got some perks, but at the same time, he was hated by his brothers. How would you, how'd you like to be in that situation? So um, now to top it off, that's the situation we start out in. To top it off, God does something really special for Joseph. He gives him a dream, a prophetic dream, one that says that he's going to be a really important person someday, and to top it off, his brothers are going to bow down to him. Now, imagine you're the older brother, uh, maybe you're Reuben, and the little runt comes up and says, someday you're going to bow down to me. How do you think that went over? Now, put yourself in, in Joseph's place. You know, he's the little guy. He's always, they're always putting him down. You're never going to be anything. You know, dad likes you better than us, but, you know, you're never going to amount to anything. I'm sure there was some of that. And, uh, and so he just got word from God that he's going to be somebody important. Now, what do you think somebody who's 17 years old is going to do in that case? Yeah, he's going to tell them, right? Maybe a wiser or older Joseph would have maybe held some of that back, but, um, but he just kind of lays it out to him, And his brothers, they don't, they don't appreciate this too much. You look at the situation, and this is a recipe for disaster. You could imagine Satan watching all of this. The family is in turmoil because, well, Jacob wasn't a very good father in that, in that respect. He showed personal favoritism. The brothers hate Joseph. Now, he's got to know that this is part of God's plan, the 12 tribes. He's got some inkling of all of this. And here's an opportunity. What if, what if, uh, what if we can just destroy the 12 tribes right here before they even form? What an opportunity for Satan to disrupt God's plan. Now, we've got to talk about Jacob for a minute. He was actually quite wealthy in his time. He had flocks. He had a lot of other uh, business interests. Um, key to his, 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 uh, his business were the flocks. And he entrusted that key element to the ten brothers. And they would go out and move the flocks around. If you know anything about goats and sheep, they are not like cows. They have to be moved, otherwise they'll destroy the, the, uh, the grass. And so the flocks would be moved. Jacob and his family, his, the main family, would be in their tents They would only move occasionally. The flocks would move around to to stay in the good grass. So sometimes the flocks are far away, not where Jacob could could easily supervise what was going on. So this was the situation. The flocks are far away. The brothers are out there. Uh, Jacob and Joseph are in the tent doing whatever they do. And Jacob says, you know, I need to find out what's going on. So he sends Joseph out to check up on the brothers to see what they're doing. Now, at this point, they're far away. When Joseph shows up, he is without the protection of his father. And the brothers know that their father can't see what they're doing. So they're going to be kind of only accountable to themselves at that point. And uh, so you can imagine, you know, here comes little Joseph in the distance coming to check up on him. They're thinking, he's going to check up on us and go back and tattle to dad. What's going on? And so it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what's going to happen next. They see him in the distance coming, and they have this little chap, the, 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 uh, the 10 brothers. And, uh, well, all but one of them is ready to kill him on the spot. They just want Joseph gone. Now, Reuben's the older brother, and we don't know if, he, uh, if he's opposed morally opposed to, to murder or he doesn't want to deal with the blowback from dad or what it is, but he's opposed to this. And he convinces them to put Joseph in a pit. Maybe he thinks uh, we can all cool off and things will get better. Maybe he thinks uh, a little time in the, in the timeout pit would uh, create some humility on the part of, uh, of uh, Joseph. Uh, we don't really know. But in any case, they got him down in the pit. And Reuben is away doing something else. The other uh, brothers are there and they see this caravan in the distance. And somebody comes up with this great idea. Let's get rid of Joseph. Let's sell him to those folks as a slave. They'll take him away. No more Joseph. End of problem. Dad can get back to liking us. Good plan. Oh, one more thing. They get some silver for it. So that's, a, that's another incentive there. So they do that. Reuben comes back. He is not too happy. But he has no choice. He has to go along with uh, some sort of plan to make this okay. So they cook up this plan to take Joseph's coat that they still had, they put some goat's blood on it, and they took it to their father so he would think that Joseph had been eaten by wild animals. Imagine how bad that would be as a parent to hear that, your own child had been eaten. Well, in Genesis 37, 34 through 35, we read, Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All of his sons and daughters came to comfort him, But he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept. So now the story leaves Jacob and his family and follows Joseph. He's in a caravan now and they're going to Egypt. He's a slave. He just had his life spared. He doesn't know why exactly. Why did did it turn out that way? Why did he get sold as a slave? He doesn't know. But I imagine that if he had that thought bubble, like I did, he was thinking, well, God, you saved me. For what purpose? I don't know. But then we read in Genesis 39.2, very short little sentence there, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Soon as he gets to Egypt, things start looking up. He gets sold as a slave to an Egyptian official named Potiphar. Potiphar recognizes Joseph's administrative skills and abilities. He puts him in charge of his whole house. He's so good that he rises to the level of being in charge of the whole house. And Potiphar doesn't worry about anything. He just lets him uh, do what he's supposed to do. So he's, he's trusted. He's, he's at the top of where he can be at that point. Now, Potiphar's wife, she had designs on Joseph. She wanted to get her hands on him, if you know what I mean and he rebuffed her, uh, her advances. Now think about Joseph's situation. He's alone in a foreign land with a bunch of people who don't worship the God that he worships. There's got to be a lot of uh, temptation there in that situation. And at this point, Joseph really demonstrates his character, and he says no. He does the right thing by his owner, Potiphar, and for his trouble, he ends up rotting away in an Egyptian prison. Can you see that thought bubble then at that point? God, God, are you listening? What are you doing? This is so unfair. I can see him there in that prison. But again, the Lord was with him. We read in Genesis 39, 21. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. He was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success every, in, in whatever he did. He's running a prison. He's, a, he's an inmate, and the, and, the, and the head guy puts him in charge of everything. He must have been really good at what he did. Have you noticed a trend yet in Joseph's life? First, life is good. He's at home. Then, life is bad. He's sold as a slave. In the second story, life is good. He's, he's uh, running Potiphar's house. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to do in both cases. Then he's falsely accused and sent to prison. In both cases, he's the victim of some pretty sinful papal. This is not what he deserves. Now the third story we come to, in the prison, life is good again. You probably can imagine the pattern is going to keep going. Up, down, up, down. Is it just me or is that how your life goes? Up, down. Now going back to the start of the story in Genesis 37, you may remember that the uh, the sons were out tending the flock and, and Jacob sends Joseph out. It's very possible that Jacob recognized Joseph's abilities as a, as a leader and an administrator. Maybe he was going to make him his junior manager, uh, who knows, in the family business. Um, but where when God took him out of that situation, he also took over the training that Jacob had started. And He was God was giving Joseph ever-increasing responsibilities. But at the same time, he takes him down a notch or two along the way. I think that is so that he would understand that he wasn't in control, that God was. And later on in the story, he does some pretty amazing things as far as where his heart is at that I don't think he would have uh, been there if God hadn't done this. So back to the thought bubble in Joseph's head. He can see that God's doing something. God, I see you're there. But again, what are you doing? He's still pretty far away from home. He's in a foreign land. Then we come to the really good part of the story. Things get a little better for Joseph. He gets, gets some hope. In Genesis 41 through 4, sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. Now, we're told Pharaoh was angry, and we're not told why, but you got to understand that <clears throat> Pharaoh was, there was nobody higher than Pharaoh in the land. If he said, you know, off of his head, that's exactly what happened. There was no repercussions. The Pharaohs thought that they were gods, and so they acted in a very capricious manner. They, they never thought about what they were doing as far as how it affected other people. There was no accountability. They could do as they pleased. And... Uh, So he could have just as easily have had the cupbearer and the baker executed right there or not. So it seems as though a rather random situation there with Pharaoh, but I'm reminded of another Pharaoh that came a little later in the book of Exodus. You may remember that um, when the children of Israel were leaving and and Pharaoh said, fine, get out of here, I don't want to ever see you guys again, Um, he decides... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach them one more time, and he sends his army out there. Now, he thinks it's his idea, but in Exodus 14.8, we read, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites. Now, this is the famous story of where they end up in the Red Sea and get drowned, if you remember that. So Pharaoh thought he was in control. God showed the children of Israel that God was in control in order to build them up. All right, let's get back to our story in Joseph, uh, Genesis uh, forty four through 7. So we have the cupbearer and the, and the baker there. And after they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker, the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, they had a dream on the same night, and each dream had a meaning of, of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected or sad. He also asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house, why do you look so sad today? Now, this is really interesting. Joseph's a busy guy at this point. He's running the whole prison. And yet he has time to notice something. Now, they're sad. They're in prison. That's the way it's supposed to be. I think that's probably what Pharaoh intended. He didn't want it to be a party. So the fact that they were sad doesn't seem like it would be unusual but yet Joseph noticed it. I believe that at this point, God is guiding Joseph's steps. He allows him to see something and Joseph in faith moves out and acts on it. Picking the story up in verse eight. We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. Think about this for a second. What are the chances two men on the same night both have a disturbing dream, and then they're both in Joseph's care. Joseph picks up on this, and he discerns that this is the time for him to step out in faith and do something, so he, answer, he, he interprets their dreams. Picking up the story in Genesis 40, verse 9, so the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me. The vine had three branches, and as soon as it budded and blossomed, the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will, be put, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with me, remember me. When all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Joseph is desperate to get out of prison. He's telling anybody that will listen. And then listen to this. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even what I have done, even here, I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Clearly, Joseph is feeling like I didn't do anything to be here, and it would be easy for him to build up resentment towards God, towards his brothers, towards who knows what along the way, to blame him to blame them for his situation. Well, now you can imagine the baker. He heard this uh, good good story, um, good uh, interpretation. He's probably thinking, Well, let me get mine out there. So. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday and he gave a feast to all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that once again he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand but he impaled the baker, Joseph Joseph. Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. Wow. Again, Pharaoh is completely unpredictable. And so you could imagine the cupbearer, having gotten through that, was probably a little bit hesitant to do what Joseph asked him to do. And we read in Genesis 40, 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So Joseph has got this glimmer of hope that he's going to get out of prison, maybe. And the cupbearer forgets about him. He sits in that prison for two more years. And uh, you can see, I can see the thought bubble now. He say, God, I can see you're here. He's seen all the things that got him here. But still, what are you doing? How He has no idea what is going to happen. But he's not ready yet for the job that God has for him. Instead, he uh, spends, what I say, two more years in the Egyptian prison program for higher education and moral development. God had him exactly where he wanted him. So two years later, Pharaoh has a dream, and he's disturbed by it. And you can imagine with Pharaoh's history of being rather capricious, the cupbearer is a little worried. Pharaoh has a problem, he has a problem, because he might just be within reach to have something bad happen to him because Pharaoh just felt like it. So he realizes that Pharaoh had a dream, and I know a guy that does dreams. So what do they do? Well, they get Joseph out of prison. They clean him up. They bring him in. There's a lot of verses back and forth. I'll just summarize it and say, Joseph interprets the Pharaoh's dream and he says, look, for seven years, you're going to have great abundance in your land. And for seven years, you're going to have absolute famine. You won't be able to plant. You won't be able to reap in that period of time. And so Pharaoh knew that, well, we got to do something. We got to save the, the good years and and give it out in the bad years. And he could have chosen anybody in his kingdom. I'm sure that he had learned and experienced uh, advisors and administrators that would have known exactly how to work the Egyptian system to make that all work out. But what does he do instead? He picks a foreigner, a young kid basically, a Hebrew, and he says, I want you to run the thing. This job, he essentially had control of the entire Egyptian economy. No one was higher in the land than Pharaoh. Now, was this Pharaoh's wisdom or God's plan? Well, Pharaoh would have said it was pretty good wisdom because as it turns out, because of the way that uh, Joseph does this, Pharaoh ends up owning all the land and all the gold and silver. So he makes out really well. He probably is thinking, I did a great job recognizing the wonderful character that that young man uh, Joseph had. Well, now we get, the story kind of starts to come back to, uh, to Jacob and, and his family in the land of Canaan. And in Genesis 41, 56, we read, When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold the grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. That everywhere included Jacob and his family. They didn't know anything about Joseph. Famine was severe there too. Freak of nature, hand of God. I don't know. What do you think? Now Joseph is elevated to this position of great responsibility. God was grooming Joseph all along. And you can see that. And at this point, I'm sure Joseph still was, had that thought bubble, God, I I know you're here, but still, what are you doing? See, God isn't done yet. He, he must know that there's more to life than just being an Egyptian official. So from uh, Genesis chapter 42 through the end of the book, um, there's this rather lengthy interaction between Joseph and his sons uh, and, and Jacob. In a nutshell, um, Jacob and his, and his sons, are, they're starving. They know they have to go to Egypt to buy grain and there really is no other choice. So they load up their donkeys, they take some silver, and they go. And they don't know. They think they're going to to get food to save their family. They don't know that they're on a divine schedule for an appointment with Joseph. See, God is working through Joseph to bring reconciliation to the family and to preserve what will become the nation of Israel. Now, just as Jacob uh, sheltered Joseph, After Joseph was gone, he has another son, Benjamin, and he does the same thing to him. He holds him at home, and who wouldn't after that experience that he had? So the brothers arrive in Egypt to buy some grain, and thanks to Joseph, they're accused of being thieves, spies, all falsely, of course. And uh, we read in Genesis 42, 17, and he put them all in custody for three days. Now, I don't know what happened in those three days, but I can imagine it's a little like when uh, you and I put our two-year-old in the corner for, for timeout. This was Joseph's idea of timeout, only it's three days. They're probably in there thinking, because they don't know it's going to be three days, am I ever going to see my father, my mother, my brother, my sister, my children, that new camel I got, or whatever it was I rode around in? What, what, what are they thinking? They know that Joseph has complete control, life or death, over them. They, any minute, he could come in there and off with their heads. I found that in the right hands, guilt and time can be a, ter- a powerful tool. So at that phase of the story, uh, Joseph sweats them for three days. He questions them some more. He lets them all go but one brother, Simeon. He keeps him. And he's warned not to return. The other brothers are warned not to return without Benjamin because he learns about his his little brother and he wants to see them. Now, when the boys got back to Jacob, to say that there was a little bit of drama in the tent would probably have been an understatement. I mean, can you imagine? You left your brother, you know? And uh, there's something fascinating going on with Reuben, I, I, I find as I read through the... The, the scriptures. It's probably going on in the other bro- brothers to some extent, but uh, the scripture records this for us. In Genesis 42, 22, Reuben replies, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an account, accounting of his blood. Now the other brothers are probably thinking, oh, thanks for the commentary. You could have done without that. The I told you so. But they're probably agreeing we must give an account for his blood this is what's this is why this is happening they have this guilty conscience now when this is going on joseph can understand what they're saying because he's speaking through an interpreter they don't know that he can understand them and you imagine what's going through joseph's mind so uh they go they go back to to egypt they they uh, eat up all the grain and they've got to return with benjamin and uh, at this point, jo- Jacob doesn't want to let Benjamin go. I mean, he's, he's really holding on tight to that youngest child. And in Genesis forty two thirty seven, we read, when Reuben said to his father, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you, referring to Benjamin, entrust him to my care and I will bring him back. Wow. Reuben is taking responsibility. He's the oldest brother. He's finally stepping up. And... It's a step. You can see that some maturity is taking hold. He's not the same man that helped cook up the story about Joseph. Now, if you ever watch HGTV and and the home improvement shows, there's always a big reveal. And and there's going to be a big reveal in this story. So there's more back and forth, and all of it is Joseph and God bringing the brothers to the point of repentance. And we read in chapter 45, verse 4, Joseph said to his brother, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Can you hear the gasp go through the room? And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. They needed to hear that. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no planting and reaping. This is really important. God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you that sent me here, but God. He made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. So the rest of the story is bringing uh, Jacob, the rest of the family, to Egypt, and they settle in there, and they are blessed by, by Joseph. The story moves a little, little further along, and you see in uh, chapter 50, verse 15, um, in chapter 50, Jacob dies. And uh, especially in that culture, but even in our culture, we give a lot of respect to our parents. And the brothers were getting a little worried that maybe they were just spared out of respect for Joseph, uh, Joseph, uh, Jacob. And we read in chapter 50, verse 15, then Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. They said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Notice (laughs) they recognize that they were wrong. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sin and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Please, Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God, of your, of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves. At this point, you have the... The full cycle of repentance has, has occurred. And, uh, and Joseph, he is so gracious at this point. Read in chapter, uh, sorry, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Wow. He's, he's running the whole, whole show there, but he recognizes God. Verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. I cannot think of another character in the Old Testament that is more like Jesus at this point. He just forgives all of the wrongs. They robbed him of a life with his father. He could have, you know, had a wife and children in Canaan. He could have. could have uh, enjoyed all of that life. Instead, he's been a slave and a servant uh, through most of his life in Egypt. There's a couple of uh, takeaways that I want to leave with you. One is God's plan has not changed. He started out with Abraham, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, to reach the world. That was God's plan. That channel eventually got clogged up, and then God brought Jesus to Earth and created the Church, and so His God's plan has not changed, but His method has shifted in order to uh, to adjust for the situation. Second point is God has a plan for His people. Now, taking you back to my story as a busboy, when I was confronted with the by the manager in his office, I didn't tell you the rest of the story. You see. He gave me some good advice, probably the best advice I've ever gotten from a person. And uh, that manager was uh, actually, he was more of a pastor to the children that came, the young men, that, women that came through that restaurant um, than anything else. At that point in time, he was somebody that I would say was my my Moses, to put it in the context of what we've been discussing earlier. Um, and he eventually... Uh, When he left that, that position went on to be a uh, youth pastor. So God was preparing him for future service there. But the advice he gave me was to work hard. And if this accusation was false, in time my actions would prove it. And so I did just that. And as a result of his advice and and some more uh, guidance along the way, um, I ended up, when I left that place, I was urged by their management to become an assistant manager, which, of course, I turned down and went on to other things. God had another plan for my life. But that event in the past really never hurt me, but still carry the baggage around for that. And, uh, and I'm sure if you look at your life, you'll see the, uh, these events that are where God is steering you if you look carefully. Now, um, if I left out this other part, uh, my story would be a little bit incomplete. It kind of has a serious but funny ending in a way. You see, a few years after I left, um, the IRS came up knocking at the door. And uh, they accused the manager of uh tax evasion, essentially. And, uh, he, of course, he was innocent. But uh, through the investigation, they managed to set up a sting operation. And they staked out the cash register, basically, one night or several nights. And finally, this one waitress, the one that accused me, they caught her. And what she was doing was she was ringing up the sale by hitting the no sale button, making change out of her pocket, keeping the money, closing the drawer, and taking the money back to the the patrons, the the change. And this was the practice late at night when when the cashier had already been sent home. So I'd seen her do this numerous times and never do what I was looking at. Well, that night she went home in handcuffs. It's interesting to me that people's own sin, they projected onto other people, and that was kind of a lesson I learned. But as a result of that experience, I still had some baggage even now. I kind of resented God for allowing that to happen. And as I was working through this passage, I really felt uh, God leading me that, you know, I needed to confess and repent of that and to thank God for a negative experience, really, at that time it's very negative, but it helped shape me and, pre- and prepared me. So I hope by sharing a little bit of my story, you'll be encouraged to look at things a little differently. And when those th- you see these things that are unfair, you'll thank the- God for them. In Joseph's life, and in my life, and your life, God's put obstacles and unfair events in our lives. He uses those to mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. I'm sure that if you look at the events of your own life, you can see God's hand working in your own life. Bad things happen to God's people, and sometimes those things are God's way of preparing us for the future service. Please remember the bottom line, what Satan intended for evil, God uses for good. And I'd like to pray over you as we close out. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we can look at the life of Joseph. And I pray that this would uh, help people to uh, reconcile those things that have happened in the past and to praise you for it and to unload that baggage that's weighing them down. And Lord, uh, send each family home today to, uh, to worship and praise you more. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.